The Athletic. Hello and welcome to UIN's The West End podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. With me as always is Rashane Thomas, who is The Athletic's West Ham correspondent and we are recording uh, first thing in the morning after the disappointing defeat to Manchester United. Rashane, you were there at Old Trafford, you're still in Manchester now, you must be bloody miserable mate because that was painful to watch. Yeah, I really am disappointed. I feel like Man United were at their best and I feel like there's a great chance for us to continue that good run of form and just try and get a win, try and go on a cup run. West Ham didn't have a number of chances at goal. But for me, the main the main one was when four nails was like counter attack, and you're thinking just slide in me, pole, like slide mm-hmm. him in. But for some reason, four nails hesitated. I United with cheap possession. It's like oh my goodness, like here we go again. Uh, yeah, like I, I, my takeaway from that game, Sam, is that once again it's another example of uh, West Ham having solutions for life without Antonio. It's enough that Meepole is a promising prospect, but it's so early in his career for him to be West Ham savior right now. And when Meepole was brought off and Lanzini came on, Moyes plays Tuchek up front, and I feel like if it's another a game where like Antonio misses, just play Tuchek up front, play him up front, bring Noble to play alongside Declan Rice, and let that be you know the second option instead of seeing Jan Malenko give another chance up front. Yeah, we can see now that's not really working. It is disappointing. I feel personally that I can lump that in with the Liverpool game in as much as is we're starting to see a sort of slightly schizophrenic side to David Moyes in that the majority of the time we are about being solid defensively but also really exciting in attack and very dangerous on the break and and pretty ambitious like the amount of chances that we've created for instance against Aston Villa which is you know uh, one of the best defenses in the Premier League uh, was it was just so exciting to watch but then we go out in other games and the players look like they're playing almost a bit nervously, certainly within themselves. And I, I think that can only be coming from the manager. By the way, I'm not suddenly doing a U-turn on David Moyes. David Moyes has done an incredible job. But, you know, let's just get into the nitty gritty of analysing how he approaches different games. Because we know what this team are capable of in attack. Um, you know, there was times against Villa where it was like we were creating chances at will. It was Samba-style football. So we know that th- that team have it in them. And it's and, and and by the way, I don't think that is completely based on Antonio either. There are so many different attacking threats. I don't think the whole thing collapses if Antonio is absent. But it's clear that against certain opposition, Liverpool and Manchester United, the most recent examples, he sends them out with a different set of instructions. You know, and those instructions seem to make the players almost more cagey and nervous when they get possession. And that's the real disappointment that we, you know, both Liverpool and Manchester United, we came up against severely weakened sides and sides that we know from the other results that they've been getting recently are very vulnerable against anyone. And we were the foot going into this month. We were the form team in the Premier League. So why did we decide to approach the games against so-called bigger clubs with such a, 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 a such a level of caution? It, it just seems strange to me, and I wonder if David Moyes is gonna ever get over that. Yeah, um, and that's a great point, Sam. Man United started a match without Scott McTominay, Bruno Fernandes, and Cavani, but all on the bench. And obviously, I just touched on Liverpool. They were about Salah Mane. We had a weekend defense in uh, Jordan Henderson and Nathaniel Phillips, and. It's the matches against like the Crystal Palace, the Aston Villa, the Leeds, 
West Ham will play attacking football. They will play so good thinking it's West Ham or Barcelona. Like that's how good they will mm. play. But as you touched on it, in the big games, for whatever reason, we're not we're not seeing a similar performance. You touched on it, Liverpool and Man United. My mind goes back to December, that three 0 defeat against Chelsea, where I thought we didn't play well. The only big match this season I felt like, oh, West Ham actually played decent was I could say the one one draw against Man City and the two one loss against Arsenal. Barring that we haven't really done great against the big teams. I'm surprised at this new approach in, in big matches because it's not the West Ham I've been accustomed to seeing recently. The team was weakened by the, the absence of Antonio. I was disappointed, to be fair, I was disappointed. I suspect you were, and most fans were, disappointed to see Noble start. When I saw Noble was starting, <laughs> I was very worried because what I know is that whatever he brings to the team in terms of leadership, passion, and working hard off the ball, he, you know, I feel that the whole team's ethos and style of play is slowed down by his presence in the side because of the way when he receives the ball, he just doesn't move it as quickly or as positively as the, as we do when he's out of the team. He's someone who always likes a couple of extra touches. He's someone who has a trademark sort of turn 360 around to look everywhere before he lays it off. You see a lot of backward passes, sideways passes. You know, we're at our best when the team get, when the team are moving the ball very quickly, very positively with one or two touch football. And he, he compromises that. And actually off the ball, although he, you can't fault his work ethic, his lack of mobility and pace means that play we can get overrun in midfield. I mean, it sounds like I'm slaughtering him. I, you know, I sort, of, I sort of am, but I still love Mark Noble. Mark Noble was a great player, but these things happen, don't they? These things happen in in players' careers. And Manchester United away, I'd have much rather have seen him play Ben Rama in that role, or even give Four Nails a run out in the middle and play someone else on the left. You know, these are players who have great technical ability, are very positive, and on top of that, they they work hard. You can't fault. Ben Rama or Four Nows for their work ethic. It's not like, oh, they're our fancy Dans who don't really get involved defensively. I think Moyes has got them all drilled to work defensively. In fact, he himself said only last week that he was surprised by the amount of work Ben Rama did off the ball. Listen, I'll criticise Noble, especially after that 3 0 defeat at Chelsea. And I feel like last night he responded well, played played well alongside uh, Declan Rice. One is one of his best performances this season, in fact. He was um, West Ham's leader on the pitch, especially last night when Declan Rice, in my opinion, kept giving the ball away. He didn't have one of his best games. I feel like Noble was really good in terms of trying to, you know, motivate him and trying to motivate his teammates. There was one, it was the second half of extra time, and I believe it was um, Cresswell attempting to pass to Ben Rama. He was like, speak to each other. But the way he did it was so funny. You're thinking, yeah, like, I, I can see how he still has an important role to play. So, yeah, he'll have better days ahead, but it's just, it's just again, the whole fact of Ben Rama on the bench. Why is Ben Rama on the bench? I feel like he was great when he came on. Maybe he felt he needed rest. I don't know. It I mean, could, it, it could have been a rest, but the next game is against Sheffield United on Monday. So, if, if he's going to rest, it'll be, it'll be now. <laughs> it'll be now yeah. prior to that match. And I just felt we, la we lacked creativity and it would have been good for him to start that match, but obviously Moyes will have his reasons. Fulham, we started with a good lineup, a strong lineup. Um, we know Fulham are struggling badly. Uh, I was very confident going into that game because I looked at the side, he'd brought Bowen back in to play down the right. So obviously the Fredericks experiment was, we now know, only to do with nullifying Jack Grealish. And I thought, this is our best side we've put out here. Yeah. Antonio was playing. 
That, in some ways, is more disturbing and confusing what happened against Fulham. Because I thought, ultimately, Fulham were better than us, more or less, in that game. We must have felt in a position they were in a bit gutted to have not come away with a win. And I, that that was unfathomable because any negative results that we've had over the last few months, and there hasn't been many, have either come against big teams where Moyes has changed the tactics or they've come in games where we've had to change the team substantially. So in games like the Brighton game, the Southampton game, both of which we drew uh, and, you know, we would have liked to have won them, obviously. But that was because there was a lot of changes going on in the team and we weren't quite our best. But at Fulham, I was really worried because I felt this is our best side and Fulham have dominated the game and we have not been able to create proper chances. What went wrong there? Were the players tired, do you think, Rashane? Yeah, I honestly think fatigue had a, had, a, had a part to play in that. Given the quick turnaround of fixtures and obviously with it being a fairly thin squad, I mean, you think about the subs we have and how virtually most of our subs are defenders. <laughs> so we haven't even got like much attacking players to come off the bench and, you know, change the game for us. So relying on the likes of Fornells, Benrahma, Antonio, Bowen to like keep doing it week in, week out. And eventually the players are going to be like, listen, you know, I, I want to do well, but I'm just knackered. Like, I need a rest gaffer. And ultimately, we saw that against Fulham. And I feel like that match, in many ways, reminded me of the opening day defeat against Newcastle. The fact that we just couldn't click, get things into gear. We just struggled a little bit. And I feel like a lot of West Ham fans will agree that we're very lucky to come away with a point in that match. And Lingard as well, who had looked like a world beater in that first game against Villa. I mean, he didn't have a bad game, but he was he was quite, very quiet by comparison, wasn't he? He was also quiet, but yeah, also the fact that Lingard's hardly played in the league this season. Prior to two goals against Aston Villa, he had yet to play in the, uh, in the top flight for, for Man United. So the fact he's played, what, 180 minutes over the past two matches, that, that's great. That's credit to, to Lingard's fitness. So, yeah. listen, the player's going to have an off day every once in a while, hopefully for the Chuck United game, considering he didn't play last night, but he'll have another impact. Yeah, um, just a quick thought on Bowen. Like I say, he was dropped for Villa, but then he's been brought off twice. He was brought off against Fulham and he was brought off last night early as well. Um, what do you think is going on there? Because, you know, when he signed, we were mentioning him and Suchek in the same breath for like a long time as, as equals in terms of the impact they'd had on their team, what great signings they were. I just feel that Bowen, maybe in the mind of David Moyes and maybe some of the fans, is slipping down a little bit in terms of his role in the team and his importance. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, that's fair. I actually feel sorry for Bowen because I feel like it's starting to have an effect on his confidence. Imagine being a player, right, and, and the clock hits the 70-minute mark and you see the full fish, you'll have, have the board up and you think to yourself, oh, it's me coming off here. Like, that's the sort of impression I get from Bowen because he's always coming off around that time. And it's like... Yeah, sometimes he might have a quiet game, but he's still the sort of player that give him the ball and a chance and you'll have an impact for us. And it's just so unfortunate because I feel like Bowen is one of the dark horses for the um for the European Championship for England. Yeah. I feel yeah, like if true. if I'm seeing the likes of Eze for Crystal Palace, Harvey Barnes for Leicester being, you know, rumours of a potential place in the squad, why not Bowen? He's been great for West Ham this season. But I just feel like over the past couple of games, the fact he keeps coming off as you touched on, half time against United last night in the early stages of the second half against Fulham, it's like he's not being given the, the full 90 minutes to show what he can do. Having 40 minutes here, 50 minutes here, it's going to have a knock on his, a knock on effect on his confidence. I think it's strange because, he, you know, obviously his fitness is one of the highest in the squad. The bloke will run yeah. all day long. He's extremely positive. And when we play on the counter, which we like to, 
to me, he's reminiscent of the role that Matthew Etherington used to play for West Ham, albeit on the opposite yeah. wing. But under Alan Pardew, when we had a very good counter-attacking team, which this team reminds me of a lot in terms of the personnel, the tactics, the style. And we had Matthew Everington in that team. And when, when we played out of defence, the first thing we would often do is look up and get it out to him on the wing. And he would make up like maybe 50, 60 yards very quickly and turn attack uh, defence into attack. And I think that's what Bowen does. I think in in many ways he's he's fundamental to. I mean, you know, um, Ben Rama over on the other wing is more like today's Yossi Benayoun, who's got a bit. He'll cut inside more. He'll look for cheeky through balls. Whereas Bowen just has that beautiful directness, where it's just like you just he doesn't even need any tricks because usually he just outpaces whoever he's up against, sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I think he's so central to the team, and I, I hate to see his confidence affected, but obviously will, especially when Yarmolenko, who I've always been a fan of, and hands up, I did say that I thought he could do a roll up front. I think I've been proved wrong on that now. Um, <laughs> but Yarmolenko, when he when he comes on on the right, which he usually does. He's usually the one who they bring on. He's too predictable. I think he scored some goals in his early days at West Ham because for some reason, Premier League left-backs were still unaware of the fact that he liked to cut inside and could shoot with with his left foot and pretty much yeah. score from anywhere. Now that they know that and he loses it and he never tries anything else. He never keeps guessing. He tries the same thing every time. He appears quite flat-footed. I like the bloke, actually. I think, you know, sometimes he's, he can pull out a, a trick or a touch that is world class. And he also doesn't mind getting stuck in now. I think, you know, Moyes has improved his work ethic. So, you know, I don't, I, I definitely don't think he's a shit player. Um, but I just think he's not, he's not really doing it for us. And if that's the option off the bench, I'd rather keep Bowen on for the 90. Fredericks, I can see the logic in the, putting him out on the right at times because. Although Fredericks, I think is he's one of those lads that I call a, a nervous ninny on the ball. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Shane? You see him yeah. up closer, right? When you're at the games and you see them up close and you hear the way that they communicate, which I find fascinating when you tell us about that. And there's something about Ryan Fredericks, and I've always thought this from day one, when he gets the ball, right, he looks like he's shitting himself. I mean, it might just be some people's faces are just always locked in a particular expression, yeah. the same way that some people look moody even when they're not. But he looks nervous. And when he loses the ball, let's say he like gives it away or gets tackled or his cross goes out of play, he's one of those lads who will always look absolutely crestfallen, right? <laughs> He'll look like his world <laughs> has caved in, right? He looks around and he, he always raises his hands, looks at the heavens, shrugs, and he looks a bit like, I've been watching Junior Bake Off and uh, the kids at the end of Junior Bake Off, at the end of each episode, they're all lined up and the judges say, right, someone has, Harry Hill says, right, someone has to leave us. And it pans to to the young baker who knows oh, it's my turn. I know I've had a bad week. I'm going. <laughs> and these kids are like 10 years old, right? And you see them, they're trying to hold it together. They're trying their best to hold it together because yeah. they don't want to embarrass themselves. But the tears start coming and they're straining to keep them back. And it's really heartbreaking, actually. I think it's horrible. But I'm not going to get too deep into uh, Junior Bake Off now. The point I'm making is that is what Ryan Fredericks reminds me of. He's a nervous bloke on the ball. However, I think he's a good impact sub because even if he's nervous on the ball, just his, his pace is so insane. I, I think he might be the fastest player in the Premier League. 
Yeah, that he, he will like frighten defenders if you stick him on. And he makes good overlapping runs and sometimes delivers across. So make yeah. makes sense with him. It does. I'm laughing because it's so true. It's like it's mm. like school times, right? When a teacher picks someone that picks someone at random to answer a question, and then you had you thinking, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, yeah, don't pick yeah, me. that's exactly you know, it. Don't pick me, yeah. And your heart's got your heart's beating so fast because you're thinking, <laughs> oh, please don't let, please don't <laughs> let it be me. And that's and that's how it is of Ryan Fredericks. And I'll give you an example, right? In the second half, there was a moment where I believe Safar passed the ball to him, and Fredericks just looks like he's just in a world of panic. He's in the world of panic. He's thinking, yeah, what yeah. am I gonna do with the ball? What am I gonna he's do like, with the ball? He doesn't he doesn't yeah. want to be passed to, does he? Yeah. He's like, do I, do I pass it back? Do I cut inside? Like, what do I do? I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? Like, come on, Fredix, you're fast. Use your pace to cut yeah. behind the defense. So yeah, oh, so true. I feel, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. Yeah. Do you? Like sometimes you think, oh yeah. no. Oh, they passed in the ball and he, he's really scared. <laughs> I do because uh, it's a player that he's got great pace for us and as you touched on a great player who can have off the bench to have an impact he just wanted to have a bit more self-belief I think that's the issue with Friar Fredericks have a bit more self-belief obviously we know about his injury record at the club but when it comes to your pace no one has a match for you in, in, in the Premier League you're, you're the fastest player at West Ham by 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 mile like, just use that to your advantage have a bit more self-belief but just touching on this point Sam I feel like the next step for David Moyes we all know he's been great in terms of recruitment so Val, Thomas Uchek but I just feel like the next step for David Moyes is to have more, have more depth on the bench I feel like that's been the biggest Achilles heel for West Ham over the past 12 months uh, who came off the bench yesterday? Uh, Lanzini came off the bench Meepo came off the bench we, we couldn't stop making substitutions at one yeah. point I thought it was one of those UNICEF charity games with the celebrities <laughs> the amount of bloody it was like roll on roll off Meepo yeah. came on and went off again I was like yeah. how many subs are allowed nowadays when I was a kid it was just two yeah I won't put a four. I wonder if Sam Delaney's going to come on the pitch at some point you know, <laughs> and get off the winning goal get off the winning goal oh, I could just but, imagine yeah. myself coming up for a corner mate and just like landing that winning header Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It does feel, just the tone of how we're discussing all of this on this episode for the first time in ages, it feels like we're hitting a little bit of a potentially sticky period. We had six wins on the trot, I think it was, and everyone was, you know, buoyant. And I think it was after the West Brom game going into Liverpool. We were briefly fourth. We were talking about the Champions League. Some people, i.e. me, were talking about winning the <laughs> Premier League. And Sod's Law, you know, we, we have a bad bad performance all round against Liverpool. Great against Villa, poor against Fulham, and then poor again against United. Plus, suddenly, we're beset with injuries, and we've lost. Uh, and we've lost the transfer window. Um, I said the other week that I thought it was a good decision. I now immediately um, 
I'm happy to publicly perform a U-turn on that and say it was a bad decision not to at least loan someone. And I feel that suddenly, even going into a game against a desperate Sheffield United team who are going to be extremely motivated, have a not bad record against West Ham as well, let's be honest. You're going into it thinking, oh God, you know, we, we drew with Fulham. Now we've got to play Sheffield United. I, 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 we've got injuries. We don't know who's playing up front. It's all a bit worrying. Uh, do, you, do you envisage a potentially sticky period? Because it's not long until we've got to play Tottenham and Man City. I do. And to be fair to you, Sam, you predicted this. You said it's going to be a blip and form at some point. I was like, I don't think it will happen. You're like, nope, it's going to happen. Well, West Ham, <laughs> we're going to have a blip and point, a blip and form sorry, at some point. Um, hope we, we could be seeing it now. Hope it's not the case, but we could be seeing it now. And I feel like the game next Monday against Sheffield United could be full in part two. Mm. We're trying to stay up. No one saw Sheffield United beating Man United a few weeks ago. They're going to try and you know come to the stadium and feel like, hey, we can get a good result here. West Ham are struggling in terms of having a, a goal scorer in the tournament's absence. Let's just back ourselves to get a result. So they, they'll probably make it hard for us. I'm not looking forward to that game at all. What do you think the situation with Antonio is? Um, what, what, is it his hamstrings or is it just that he's exhausted? So Moy talked about Antonio after the match and he said, like, it's fatigue. Like, that's the reason why he wasn't involved against United. It was mm. just tired or too many. So he, he's hopeful that he'll still be involved against Sheffield United next Monday. And yeah, um, listen, I spoke to someone close to Antonio. They said it's just fatigue. He hasn't got a hamstring injury. It's just fatigue from the goalless draw at, at Fulham. I think that Ogbonna, he's my hammer of the season so far. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, most seasons you're scrabbling around trying to think of someone who's played half decent and you end up just saying, I'll oh, just give it to Rice again, right? <laughs> this season, there are at least half a dozen feasible candidates for hammer of the season so far. But um, uh, for me, it's definitely Ogbonna. The, the bloke is an absolutely outstanding all-round defender right now uh at, you know and i feel that our defensive displays often like hinge upon his leadership and his ability to just come from nowhere shut things down snuff things out and, and his composure everything everything about him has been fantastic this season and for me it's potentially as big a loss as antonio to the team the only good thing being that unlike with the forward positions, we do have several good centre-backs waiting in reserve. In fact, when he thinks of who should partner Dawson, who I thought, again, was sensational last night. Um, I, th- I mean, no lie, I think Dawson should be in the England squad on form. I'm, I, it sounds, I sounds funny, but I just think if you look at if you look at the Premier League at the moment, I, I would struggle to find an English centre-back in better form than Craig Dawson. From now on, he shall be known as Virgil van Dawson. He's, he's absolutely... He's just bloody brilliant. And the other thing is, the other good thing about him, which softens the blow a little bit of Ogbonna, is that he is clearly a leader. I mean, you're in a stadium, you can hear him. From what I can tell on TV, he's doing a lot of shouting and pointing and obviously has some balls on him to sort of shout at the other players and get them organised. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of shouting and clapping, especially when uh, Diop came on, because bear in mind, Diop has hardly featured this season. His last match was the uh, 4-0 winner over Doncaster in the previous round. So when like Diop was doing good stuff, like making the ball go out of play or making tackles, also be clapping and saying, yeah, that's good, that's good, motivating him. And we saw that. And obviously, Dawson was close to like, scoring the winning goal at the end. So, so unlucky for the ball not to take the back in the net. He should have probably got better contact on that. That's the only, only criticism. But those things happen in a split second. So we've got the choice of uh, playing Diop or Balbuena, both of whom are strong candidates next to uh, Dawson in the next game. Or 
switching to three at the back, um, which was very successful for us earlier in the season. And maybe it is time for a little switch around considering the struggles we've had in the last few games and, and going back to a system where you see either like Johnson playing left wing back and Cresswell playing centre-back alongside Dawson and one other. What do you think? What, what would your your preference be? I, I actually think, yeah, we should see a switch to three at the back and playing with wing-backs. Considering we have so many defenders and it's one of our you know strongest areas, we should just revert back to the wing-back system. As, as we touched on earlier, Johnson played so well last night. We saw Cresswell's former in the season when he played at the centre-half alongside uh, Barbarian and Ogbonna. And there's no reason why he can't continue with good form in that position. So I feel like it's something more we should do moving forward. Tevez, Zamora, and Tevez scores! It was bound to be him! It was bound to be him! Carlos Tevez is man on the spot yet again. What a great finish. No great defending from Man United. Van der Sar, he comes and he decides to stay. And once he does that, he gives the initiative to Tevez, but what a fantastic finish. Seven goals for Carlos Tevez, all since the beginning of March. So Sheffield United, this is a big game for West Ham fans. Uh, certainly those of us who were around in that fateful season in 2007 uh, when we performed the Great Escape and were subsequently sued by Sheffield United. That, I think, will live with West Ham fans for a very, very long time. And I think it sort of shot Sheffield United up in our charts of dislike clubs. So you speak to most West Ham fans and it will be a variation on Millwall, Tottenham and Chelsea as, as your most disliked clubs and different fans put it, put those three in different orders. But Sheffield United would have never been anywhere near most fans' top 30 clubs prior to 2007. What went down in 2007, it can't be stressed enough for many of us, was just like so, such a disgrace, so kind of pathetic. I mean, I'm a ranter about this. I've even got mates, other West Ham mates who were like, Sam, you know, don't get Sam onto it. So I'll try to <laughs> hold back as much. But don't, we'll be here all night if you get Sam onto Sheffield United and Tebbis Gate, right? I think the thing is, the amount of money that they dragged us through various court cases to try and extract from us and the amount of money they did end up getting out of us is almost not talked about enough because to many clubs, that could have been a sum that could have put them out of business for good. We're talking about tens of millions that we had to pay out to Sheffield United on what I think was a spurious, petty and trumped up charge. It was a huge amount of money that they that they demanded from us. I thought it reflected really badly on them. Looked like bad sportsmanship, a refusal to take responsibility for um, your own outcomes in life. And, you know, I just thought it was so outside the spirit of the game. But the point is, is that we were already a club who weren't rich. We were already a, a club facing difficulties financially. Just a year later, it was when the Icelandics were kind of went out of business and the financial crash happened. And listen, I've been quite clear about the fact that I think the club would be better off without Sullivan, Golden, Brady in charge. And I stand by that. However, I do think that we sometimes forget what a struggle it would have been for them inheriting that huge debt that we were obliged to play Sheffield United. And the fact that we ourselves were then relegated and got promoted and managed to sustain a decent long period in the Premier League that we still sustain to this day, in spite of the fact that we had the albatross of that legal <laughs> fee 
round our round our neck throughout that period is is absolutely amazing because we have seen clubs at least as big as us, for instance, Leeds United, plummet right down through the divisions under circumstances like that. And uh, and that is why I've got such an animosity for Sheffield United. And, you know, a lot of their fans will still stand by it. Some of their fans get in touch with me when I rant from time to time uh, publicly about this stuff. And they say, do you know what, mate? We're embarrassed too. It is embarrassing. It's like the kid who, you know, loses his place in the football team at school and suddenly his mum's coming and he's going mad at the PE teacher. There's a bit of a, I mean, we're using schoolboy analogies a lot on this this episode, but there, there was something about it like that. It's like, listen, all fairs in love and what. I'm not saying that there was no discrepancies about the Tevez matter, but it was, the, the thing about the Tevez matter was, what, what it boiled down to was administrative errors. There was nothing dodgy that went on on the pitch, right? There was a, fa- as I understand it, the, the, the ultimate crime that we were convicted of was the failure to submit a particular piece of paperwork about the player's registration, right? The other uh, myth about the, that, that season, that great escape, that you'll hear lazy pundits trotting out when they talk about it, is that Tevez single-handedly saved West Ham from relegation. The truth is, when you look at the incredible running we had, and in those days, I went to every game home and away, so I remember vividly all of the games that we that we won in order to stay up that year. And Tevez scored some crucial goals, not least that the winner at Old Trafford on the final day. But the top scorer that season, and in particular had a glut of goals in that run, was Bobby Zamora. If anyone saved us with their goals that season, it was Bobby Zamora, who suddenly found a rich vein of form in the last eight games of the season and scored the majority of our goals. In terms of creating goals, you might say, well, he was playing up front with Tevez, he was setting them all up. The guy who got all the assists was not World Cup superstar Carlos Tevez. It was, in fact, unheralded Irish left-back George McCartney, who delivered a huge amount of assists for Bobby Zamora in that running. If I was a member of that team who performed The Great Escape, which really was, and I've never seen anything like it, the way that we pulled that escape out in, you know, because we had been so poor and we almost overnight became so good. It was unbelievable. If I was another player in that team, I would be very aggrieved at the fact that it's all done around Tevez. And the thing is, there's a bitterness amongst other clubs and other supporters who think it was unfair that West Ham got a player like Tevez. And, yeah, to be honest, maybe it was, maybe, you know, but they can't accept the fact that uh, it was anything other than Carlos Tevez. And they like to imagine it was like Diego Maradona for Argentina in 1986, where he just came on the pitch and started running around. Tevez had hardly played that season, you know. Pardew, uh, first Pardew, then Kerbishley, didn't fancy him at first. In the end, he got into the team as a final roll of the dice. He scored some great goals and, and he, he he remains in every West Ham's heart forever. Just, But partly just because of his attitude on the pitch was so incredible and the way that he made a connection with the fans so quickly. He's just a top bloke and he became a West Ham legend in just half a season. But let's get it right. He did not single-handedly drag us out of you know relegation, number one. Number two, Sheffield United's fate was entirely in their own hand, ir- hands, irrespective of what West Ham did, right? Um, as, I, as I remember, they failed to get a result at bloody Wigan on the last day, whereas we went to Old Trafford and got a win away against the champions. And so I think the whole thing was outside of the spirit of the game because they didn't just complain. They absolutely nailed us for every penny they could 
And what West Ham did was they brushed themselves down. They they took their punishment with dignity. They got relegated a few years later and they came back stronger. Sheffield United spent years afterwards in the championship. And I think they even went down again. So it didn't do them a lot of good. And this season, they're going to go down again. And I've got to say, I'll be glad to see them go. And I'll laugh on the day they get relegated. <laughs> there, that's me done. I'll leave it there. Well, I'm, I'm Rishay, well, what are your feelings? Uh, you know what? It's, it's a bit like the younger, younger ex. He doesn't want to see you do well in life. They just keep, they keep like that's how, uh, yeah, your, like, that's yeah. how I feel. It's the, young, mm. the younger ex. They don't, they won't leave you alone. They won't leave you alone. And you know what? Mm -hmm. When um, there was that whole thing about Snodgrass playing, um, not playing against West Ham because like, like a gentleman's yeah. agreement. I saw Sheffield United fans say, oh, West Ham should be ducked points. What on earth is oh, going on here? Thinking, I was thinking, come off here. What? So bitter. So bitter. But yeah, you're spot on, Sam. Absolutely spot on. And there's something what I call Lampardy about it. Lampardy is a word <laughs> that I use on my other podcast, Top Flight Time Machine. And it's it's used to, to sort of describe a kind of petty, pedantic, rule-obsessed kind of know-it-all. Who, uh, you know, were, you know, a sort of, I don't know if you remember the character Softy Walter from Nabino. It's not unlike that. Just, you know, the, the little SWAT, right? Uh, uh, you know, to go back to school analogies, the SWAT who wants to grasp you up for every tiny misdemeanor because they can't stomach it. And that's what I thought Sheffield United did. Sheffield United oh. couldn't take the fact that Neil Warnock had failed to, he had, he had the same games everyone else, 38 games to keep his team in the Premier League. They failed and they wouldn't take their medicine. And they still go on about it now. So I'm not going to lie. I do feel a huge amount of animosity towards Sheffield United, their supporters, all of the people around the club who sort of, you know, dragged that on and on and got all self-righteous, not least silly old Sean Bean, who probably hasn't been to Bramall Lane in years because he's too busy in Hollywood, right? But he loved turning up and doing a march on Parliament in protest, <laughs> right? He loved that because he loved getting his photo in the paper and looking like a man of the people, right? Neil Warnock, who's not the most likeable bloke in the world at the best of times, right? He was literally looking to cover his own ass because he had a reputation for helping teams avoid relegation. But he had had a, he had basically managed a rubbish dog shit uh, uh, Sheffield United team that season and was looking for a way of distracting from his own failures. All of those people... Screw them. They tried to put West Ham out of business, but West Ham are bigger and stronger than their club could ever be. And that's why where we are now and they're where they're at now. And that's why when we play them, it's not quite up there with Tottenham, but it sort of feels a little bit like I'm just delighted at the idea of us beating them and helping to send them down. Let's really have a terrible impact on their goal difference in case it gets close at the end of the season. That's what I'd like to do. Yeah, give them like an 8-0 thrashing. Yeah, yeah, it'd be lovely. But, you know, I don't know, the way we're playing, it's... Uh... <laughs> well, that's it. Let's uh, wrap things up, mate. Uh, I've had my say. I've got a lot of my chest. Uh, I found it cathartic. Let's hope we can get a result against them. Of course, we'd accept a 1-0, so let's just wait and see. Mate, what you got coming up for us on The Athletic this week? Really spot for choice this week. So, um, there should be a background on Craig Dawson's journey from Redcliffe Borough to West Ham. Great. So, yeah, some great stories so far we're going to get for the piece. And just a piece I have in mind from doing this podcast, uh, looking at boring struggles and how we can bounce back. Well, glad the podcast is feeding into the, the articles, <laughs> mate. You can read all of Rashane's fantastic pieces on West Ham throughout the week by subscribing to The Athletic now. Well worth it. Uh, Non-stop West Ham content. 
good, you know, because you can read about the rest of what's going on in the whole world of football, the Premier League and beyond. But me personally, I just don't like other football. I only like West Ham. And the Athletics, the only place where you're guaranteed like non-stop West Ham exclusive content courtesy of Rashane. So I just stick yeah. to that, to be honest. I think other football's stupid. No ads and all West Ham. What more do you want from life? Thanks for listening, folks. You can follow me at Delaney Man on Twitter or Rashane at Rashane Sport. Come on, you irons. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one. Samasia Boo! The Athletic.